I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. ¡Mételo Atleti! ¡Carrasco! ¡Lo ha parado! ¡Rechaza el larguero! ¡Fuera el tercer rechace! ¡Fuera el tercer rechace final! ¡Se acabó el partido! ¡Terrible la eliminación del Atlético de Madrid! Welcome back to the La Liga Lowdown podcast. My name is Ruri Barlow. I'm joined by Paco Polit to break down all of the happenings in Spanish football this week and looking ahead to this weekend but it has been a pretty uh, traumatic week in Spanish football three of the four teams in Spain's Champions League have gone out for the first time since the since the 90s I believe it's uh, since the before the Champions League and so yeah pretty uh, chaotic time Barcelona obviously lost 3-0 to Bayern Sevilla did get a 3-0 win which uh, more or less secures their Europa League place but they are out and Atleti at the death in yeah, incredible circumstances, really missing a penalty. They had a golden ticket to to win that match, but they couldn't do it. Paco, sort of, I know um, there's a lot to discuss, there's a lot to break down out of those three teams, but what's kind of been the reaction to in general to this in Spain? What what have what's been the narrative of these teams going out? Obviously, different levels of shock because in some cases you more or less could expect it. Um, uh, for example, in, in Sevilla's case or, or even in Barca's, even though um, uh, it was 99% secure that they were going to not be able to make it into the next round, uh, it seems like Barca fans didn't actually uh, notice the, the, the hit, the, the hard hit, till uh, Inter won their game. Uh, before Barca's one, um, I believe just in in that moment it really hit hard to Barca fans that they were going to be knocked out from from this uh, group stage and and be more or less condemned to play on the Europa League and and you could actually see it with those scenes of Barca fans leaving uh, Camp Nou in the 30th minute in the first half when when they were already two 0 down against the uh, Bayern. Uh, yeah, overall it was very disappointing. Uh, Sevilla more or less expected a similar outcome, and in the Atlético's case, it was quite a bit more traumatic for the way it actually happened with that 98-minute penalty. Uh, you know, the 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 bad stroke of bad luck, uh, missing the pen later, hitting the post, and uh, you know, actually the third uh, try. <laughs> 
Carrasco being the one deflecting the, the goal. It was a, overall a very, very unlucky play for, for Atletico. And overall, if you think about the way they have played in, the, in these five games, it's deserved that uh, the three of them are out of the, of the next phase, of the next uh, stage in, in the competition. But yeah, as I said, different levels of disappointment. In Atletico's case, much more traumatic. Barca and Sevilla more or less saw this outcome coming. Yeah, and you, you talk about the trauma of this Atleti sort of yeah, going out, that draw against Bayer Leverkusen. It's obviously been quite a shock, I think for me included. I expected them to get the result in this case. But who's kind of taking the blame for this? Because, yeah, I mean, Atleti, with their resources, they should be getting through this group. There's just no, no bones about it. And same analysis for Barcelona. I mean, you can look at them and say they have the resources, they have the squads mm -hmm. to beat Inter. But I think this Atleti one... Yeah, as you say, because of the manner it happened, who's been sort of uh, who's in the focus of the uh, press right now at Atleti? Well, there are a number of uh, you know um, possible culprits in this case. Obviously, Atleti fans, at least a, a portion of them, are going to look at uh, Cholo Simeone because at the end of the day, we were talking about the the manager with the highest salary in in the whole world, and therefore he's expected to perform his magic tricks uh, season after season but sometimes you actually are unable to do so whereas for if you look at players uh, on the pitch obviously uh, Gianni Carrasco Ferreira for taking the penalty is, is one of the uh, preferable targets for many fans also you are Felix who actually wanted to take the pen but he ultimately it was uh, Carrasco the one to do it uh, some of the players not being up to par with their expected performance. Overall, uh, more or less, Atleti fans are, are shooting around, you know, and trying to uh, place the blame upon somebody. But obviously, the, the, the usual suspects here are the, the most frequent ones, Simeone, Carrasco, and, and so on. And in Barca's case, well, obviously, Xavi is being uh, under pressure at this point. Uh, another disappointment after uh, getting knocked out by Eintracht last season in the Europa League, this time with the huge amount of investment which took place last summer with the signings of, of big players, big-name players. It's uh, perceived as a big failure for, for Barca, uh, who have uh, ultimately, um, as we say in Spanish, hipotecar, no? they, they have uh, mortgaged, placed, yeah. mortgaged uh, all of their chips on the table on on trying to get far in european competitions in the champions league obviously and and they have failed in in this sense so uh the season might uh you know end in a in a rough in a rough way for for barca because only conquering, conquering la liga and possibly uh you know uh having a a doblete in in this case with liga and copa del rey would to some sense try to calm down the the fan base who at this point uh if Xavi wasn't the name of the manager and we were talking about possibly Kike Setien, Kuman, or other managers, uh, the pressure on Xavi would be far, far greater. Uh, but, you know, he's a legend for Barca. He was one of the best players in, in their whole history. So that's why I think fans are trying to relieve a bit of that uh, pressure upon upon the manager. But, but yeah, it's undoubtedly a, a, fa a failure for, for Xavi Hernández. 
Yeah, I, I I heard Thierry Henry say something similar along the lines of if uh, if Xavi wasn't the manager, people would be losing their minds at camp now. And yeah, I think you're you're yeah. spot on with that. I think again for for Barcelona and Xavi, this the problem here is that it's sickeningly familiar. All, all of the errors, all of the problems that they've seen in recent seasons are the same. In even though Xavi has adjusted things, I think he's changed things. I think he's improved Barcelona overall. When it came to the big moments they were the same and they were the same against Bayern I think I personally don't read too much into the Bayern result because you it's all very well playing for pride and it's all very well sort of getting a good result from morale against the Bayern side but once you go 1-0 down that kind of motivation really I think it exits you both Diego Simeone and Xavi described these exits or or their elimination as cruel is that fair or were they not good enough I don't think so. In, in Simeone's case, you could more or less understand where he's coming from with the way they were knocked out with that, you know, as I said earlier, uh, penalty that they didn't get in. But you had, you know, four games earlier to to perform as you should perform and pick up the points that you actually needed. In Barca's case, I think that uh, the, the, the list of excuses has been long and ineffective talking about that they deserve more against Bayern in the first leg game, about their double showdown against Inter, their bad luck and the refereeing. I've heard that many, many times in the past. And, you know, ultimately you've played five games. If you are unable to do your homework in those five games, you cannot blame anyone else than yourself for getting knocked out at this point in the in the competition. So overall... I think that uh, Barca fans shouldn't have it with the, the excuses from the management of the club and from the the coach. But in Atletico's case, I can sort of understand it because it was, yeah, it, it was actually very cruel the way they they went out of the of the group stage. Moving on to La Ley del Deporte, which, um, as has been remarked on, mm. was, was the big sort of story at the weekend. It was appearing on all of the screens on the La Liga broadcasts. So there was three points that were kind of three main key points that were voted on. The RFEF um, still have to give La Liga sort of notice and La Liga still have to give approval of any changes to, to sort of the league and to, and to Spanish football that they want to make. Uh, there was the TV rights, which was perhaps the biggest issue. So mm -hmm. La Liga retained control of the TV rights, so it means they decide how it's divided, roughly, more or less. Whereas if it had been voted against, then Real Madrid and Barcelona might have negotiated their own deals, which obviously involves a less equal split. And then finally, there was the Super League clause, which um, was not voted through. So the 39 of the 42 clubs wanted to... To this clause to be sort of voted through so that if uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona were to join the Super League their La Liga licence would be revoked um, and effectively preventing them from, from starting a Super League that didn't go through um, and so it does leave that open what's kind of been the, yeah, the reaction and the aftermath to that in Spain there was strike action was threatened before, um, before this kind of uh, vote went through but that seems to have calmed down a bit has it? Yeah, and I think that ultimately uh, everyone has uh, gotten out of this conflict more or less content and, and happy with the outcome, even though nobody has uh, finished 100% happy with the way things were uh, ultimately uh, negotiated and, and signed. 
um, it comes down to a matter of, of, of money. At the end of the day, uh, money is the, is the motivation behind most of these changes that were being, uh, you know, dealt with between the different parties. Um, obviously, you have uh, Barca and uh, Real Madrid trying to push forward their, their Super League uh, agenda. And at the same time, the La Liga sides uh, were trying to push forward their own motivations with the CVC agreement as the backdrop and that was what got uh, Javier Tebas quite um, you know nervous last week because uh, the this ley del deporte the, the, the sports law if you want to say it in in, in English uh, was trying to in Tebas opinion trying to uh, under uh, undermine or undermine to some extent the agreement between La Liga and CVC uh, whereas Tebas actually wanted the, the Lady Deporte to, to back it to some extent at least in a legal way so overall it was quite a complicated uh, issue very tricky to get all of the parties involved uh, happy to some extent and ultimately the, the politicians were able to you know just navigate between uh, this uh, turmoil and and get to a middle ground where nobody's hundred percent happy, but at the same time nobody's hundred percent defeated, if you want to call it that way. Perfect, sounds a, a lovely summary, Paco. I think um, on that note we'll close up part one, and uh, we'll be back in just a few moments. But uh, yeah, bear with us, and then we'll get to a preview of an exciting weekend of La Liga action. So don't go anywhere. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the La Liga Lowdown podcast. I'm Rory Barlow, joined by Paco Pollitt. Normally, we dedicate these kind of preview shows. We put them in two parts. We preview most of the weekend action in the first part. But given that there was so much going on, we decided to, to split it up this way. But there is one kind of standout tie, and it's it's in your house, so to speak. It's Valencia, Barca, Atmosdaya. Barcelona, as we've discussed, coming off a damaging defeat. Valencia struggling a little bit in recent weeks. How do you see this game going, Paco? Well, uh, I think it can go both ways. Uh, it's true that Valencia have been struggling with uh, a string of bad results against uh, Elche, uh, you know, being unable to, to beat Mallorca and actually getting beaten by, by Mallorca last week. Um, many injured players in many different positions. Uh, midfield, he likes Moriba is out. Uh, Nico Gonzalez cannot play against Barca because that the that clause he's on loan by Barca and we say in Spanish clausula del miedo, no? the fear clause by by Barca. And at the back, problems for Chomert, uh, problems for the Akavi who is going to be out the next two months. Overall, things not looking very bright uh, for Genaro Gattuso, but at the same time, they have been able to really perform well at home when they have had their you know a positive night ahead of them Cavani has been scoring left and right in the last few games so overall I think they have their chances against Barca who might uh, really uh, you know still be in pain after that um, knockout from the Champions League obviously they will want to try to have a good game against uh, Valencia because it's traditionally one of the uh, away grounds where they suffered the most even when Messi was still in the team they always had uh, you know rough nights at uh, at Mestalla uh, Lewandowski will be their their main um, point man uh, in front uh, let's see how the Mestalla fans receive once again Ferran Torres a former Valencia player who didn't leave in the best terms with the with the fans and yeah I think that possibly Barca are far superior in their squad and possibly in their quality of their players but if you look at the bench I think both Gattuso and Xavi are more or less in the same place you know uh, in the sense that they are two managers with only one plan a plan and whenever the the game goes uphill and, and things go south they struggle to change uh, things uh, during the game you know to be able to course correct at some point in the in the second half and they and they suffer for that so overall things are pretty balanced in the in the bench and uh, not that balanced at least on paper uh, on top of the pitch last season this match finished 4-1 to barcelona and it was a bit of a i don't want to say coming out party but they were sort of announced themselves a little bit i thought that that was one of their better performances last season 
Yeah, turning point. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. A, a punto de inflexion, as, as the yeah. Spanish like to say. How do you think this Barcelona side's better than that side, which was Aubameyang up front and uh, and yeah, there's less resources? How do you see this Barcelona side in comparison to six, seven months ago? I think they are better. They have better players, uh, but at the same time, the injuries have been uh, hitting them hard, especially at the back. And actually, I think most of the or a great deal of responsibility of them getting knocked out in the Champions League is for the injuries they have suffered in the first couple of months uh, at the back. You know, uh, Xavi had to use Gerard Piquet as a resource when he didn't actually plan on playing him uh, anything. You know, uh, he was going to bench him at least till, till January and, and Piquet was a starter in many games because of the injuries of his teammates. And that has been the the main problem for them. I think that they have a better squad. I think that they play better. And especially they have a, a, num a top level number nine in Lewandowski. And that is the main difference between this season's Barca and last season's Barca. But uh, even though they play better and they have a better squad, it hasn't been enough. At least they, have, they haven't been able to... Uh, you know, clear the bar that was set for them at the beginning of the season. And that's why I think they might come to Mestalla with that kind of vengeance sensation or, or revenge, uh, you know, revenge uh, personality motivation, in order yeah. to, yeah, motivation in order to turn things around. Because many doubters have appeared in the last few days after, after their demise in the, in the European competition. Short and sweet. If Valencia have a chance, it will be because they do what right? Because they manage to play differently to their only play style shown at the moment. Uh, Valencia will win the game if they are able to impose their play style and when things go differently, if they learn to suffer at the back, if they learn how to defend, if they learn to go down uh, to the mud to get gritty, to drive forward and to have personality. If they are able to do that, they might get something positive out of the game. Fascinating stuff. Two teams that do not know how to suffer. I'd say Real Sociedad and Real Betis have been fairly good at doing so, so far this season, but injuries starting to pile up. These two teams are the Sunday night partidazo. Betis, they've just lost Joaquin, they've lost Guido Rodriguez, we're not quite sure how serious that is, but we know that they've been, uh, been missing a few players already. Real Sociedad, Ayan Munoz, Mohamed Ali Cho, Oyarzabal obviously, Sadiq obviously, long-term injuries. Mm -hmm. How do you see this one going? Because it's two teams that are kind of being stretched squad-wise, um, but they're two teams that have been in good form, certainly up until last week for Real Sociedad. Yes, especially as they, you know, um, whenever uh, fans or listeners are enjoying this chat, uh, Real Sociedad are playing, you know, only a couple of days uh, earlier against the Omonia and obviously Real Betis are having their own their own effort uh, with that win against uh, Ludo Goretz, 1-0 uh, away from home. By the way, the goal was scored by Fekir. But yeah, I think it's obvious that when you have squads which are not really used to this kind of strain on their uh, physique like Betis and, and Real Sociedad, uh, you get to to this point. This season has an advantage, which is the World Cup break 
mid-November, uh, which will allow many of those players to, you know, recover and, and get in tip-top shape once again. But again, uh, in January, you will have uh, a load of games to play. And in February, because it's Copa del Rey time and, and you know, and so on. Especially if both of these teams are able to move over to the next round in the Europa League, they are going to suffer. But at this point, I think most of the players are, uh, you know, at a level where they are able to play twice per week, more or less consistently. And yeah, the injuries are piling up, especially in Real Sociedad, with the problems with their strikers, uh, as we spoke earlier, uh, Oyarzabal this season, and obviously their biggest signer, which was Umar Sadik, unable to play till at least till the last stretch of the competition. But overall, this clash of styles or clash of candidates, because both of them are, in my book, candidates for European spots, uh, is going to be fascinating to watch. Both of them lost, by the way, last week. Um, and that is going to prove, a, you know, a mighty test for um, especially Real Betis, who have dropped a bit. Remember, they managed to be third in the standings a couple of weeks ago. And since then, only one point out of the last six in play. And, and you know, that kind of dips in form are what uh, Pellegrini was able to avoid last season uh, with them getting into Europa League and winning the Copa del Rey against Valencia in the final. And, and surely they, they will want to make a statement in, in such a game against uh, Real Sociedad, uh, playing away from home at the same time. Whereas for Real Sociedad, they just have to keep the, the streak going. Remember that they were able to win eight in a row, still being defeated last week, which is pretty amazing to watch. Uh, and it was amazingly Valladolid that wants to, to end their streak of games. So overall, I think it's going to be possibly one of the highlights of the weekend. And just before that, we see Kike Setien returning to La Liga. He's, his first Villarreal match did not end quite so gloriously. They they drew 2-2 with Hapoel Beersheva yeah. at home. I mean, they, it was a meaningless game, to be fair to them. They, they didn't need a result from that. But uh, but yeah, how do you think they'll respond to Unai Emery's exit against against Athletic at San Mamés and Ernesto Valverde, who was obviously Setien's predecessor at Barcelona? Well, I, I definitely love the way you just casually throw Kike Setien's name. Like, you know, La Liga Lowland listeners were thinking about Unai Emery only seven days ago, <laughs> last, <laughs> last match day, and suddenly all exploded, everything exploded. Uh, you know, Aston Villa came around with a huge offer, and Unai Emery left Villarreal mid-season, which is pretty amazing to see in La Liga, uh, unless, obviously, you get the sack. But, yeah, I think Villarreal moved uh, swiftly, they, uh, in my view, they have taken a big gamble with Kike Setien. Uh, I'm not really a fan of the way he developed his play style with uh, Barca. Obviously, his glory days came with Las Palmas and later with, with Betis, but it's, it's, it's going to be tricky for him to try to get that kind of attractive ball-driven play style with even more ball possession that... Villarreal's Unai Emery's Villarreal used to used to have but at the same time they need to get the results and we've seen time and time again that Kike Setien isn't a man of immediate impact you know he needs uh, time to adapt for his team to you know get going and get uh, to the level that he demands from them and I think it's going to be quite interesting to see 
especially mid-season. He's going to have the luck of being able to work with his players for over a month in some sort of, you know, second pre-season time during the World Cup break. But at the same time, um, the the demands from Villarreal's board and from the fans are going to be huge for him. You know, uh, Villarreal are expected to at least get to the semi-finals in the Conference League, obviously being a, a championship contender, and they are expected to fight for fourth. And that kind of, you know, expectativas, as we say in Spanish, uh, can be grueling for, for any manager and also for, for Kike Setien. And obviously his debut in La Liga isn't against the best opposition because Athletic Club has have been great so far this season, even though they they uh, have strung a, a bit of, you know, a bad streak of results lately with four games without a win. They have played toe-to-toe -to -toe against the biggest sides in the competition. They have beat Valencia on their home turf. They have played very well against Barca, even though they lost the game. I don't know. I think Valverde is doing a great job because his team is, in my view, much weaker overall than Villarreal. The, the level of the players is, isn't even in the same tier. So I think it's going to be possibly another of the highlights. I think this weekend we have three, four very interesting games and this one, especially as they both of them are in the same level, you know, 18 points for Athletic, also for Villarreal, 18 apiece. So whoever wins uh, will possibly get uh, finally into, into that uh, Champions League race because uh, fourth is facing fifth, as we said earlier, sixth is facing the seventh. Definitely a very interesting weekend for, for La Liga fans. Yeah, it's not often that we relegate Real Madrid to kind of like fourth position in this, and uh, they lost their unbeaten record this season. After, after 16 games, their 17th was a defeat to RB Leipzig in Germany. It was 3-2 uh, in the end, yes, and... I mean, again, this was kind of a meaningless game for Real Madrid. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter too much. Thibaut Courtois was pretty uh, angry after the match. Carlo Ancelotti, not so much. He seemed to be pretty pretty laid back about it. I tend to think, though, that Girona at the Santiago Bernabeu is maybe the ideal fixture to respond to that with. Well, at least I don't think that they will need to break a sweat, or at least they, will, they won't need to work that hard because Girona have have been lacking in several areas this season so far. Uh, they are capable of, of the best and the worst, and you only have to see, you know, their, their current run of games. Uh, I'm checking out their last win dates. They played very well against Almeria. They lost the game. They played very well against Osasuna. <laughs> they draw the game. They draw it against Cadiz, and they were beaten by Atletico Madrid. They were beaten by Real Sociedad. They were beaten by Betis, so they haven't won since. It's actually amazing, you know, their run. Uh, they beat Valladolid back in September 9th, which is about to over a month and a half, over six weeks without winning. Uh, match day five. Not the ideal situation for Girona, uh, but obviously uh, you already know that, that they're, uh, you know, they're... Their aim is just to avoid the drop. At this point, with this kind of of uh, performance, they are going to be unable to do so. It's true that Chelsea are looking even worse. Cadiz are not looking good either. But Girona, mm, 
won't won't save themselves if they amazingly and surprisingly beat Real Madrid. They need to start picking the points against the teams who are actually in their league. You know, Getafe, Almería, Espanyol, Celta, Cádiz, Elche. Those are the the enemies or the opposition where Girona need to win. But against Real Madrid, you know, the, the chances are obviously a slim to none, especially if you see the form of both sides. Yeah, Girona, they're stuck in the Michel Sanchez conundrum of being really good in the second division, playing really nice football and getting to La Liga, continuing to play nice football, but uh, still struggling to get results. And uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they maintain faith in him. There's another six games that we've not touched on. So I'm just going to run through them. Mallorca Espanyol on Friday night. The lunchtime kickoff on Saturday is Amaria Celta Vigo. Cadiz hosts a wounded Atletico Madrid. Sevilla Rayo Vallecano precedes the Valencia Barcelona tie at Mestalla. Sunday's action kicks off with Osasuna at home to Valladolid, who are on a good run of form. And then on Monday night, the, the Monday night fixture is Elche Hitafe, a glamour tie, I'm sure you'll agree. Is there, yeah. is there anything that uh, sticks out to you here in terms of points of interest? Or do you have sort of a pick of the, a pick of the weekend in terms of a match to give us, Paco? If I go to the drama side of things, Elche Hitafe is definitely the way to go Monday night. Uh, because there's plenty of drama to, to spare. And if I have to think about a fun game to watch, uh, Mallorca Espanol, because of the way both teams play, you know. Uh, I was very impressed by Mallorca last week against uh, Valencia. I think uh, Aguirre was able to uh, turn around the game with the subs and the way he read the the develop the developing of the of the game in the second half. And I like Espanol. I like Diego Martinez. I like the way they play, even though the results aren't aren't tri trickling in. So, yeah, Mallorca Espanol, fun to watch. Elche Getafe, dramatic to watch. Perfect, excellent. I think that rounds off our preview nicely, Paco, unless you've got any further thoughts. Um, regarding the rest of the of the games, really, I'm 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 worried about Celta. You know, the 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 drop in the drop in form. Uh, of Celta in the last month and a half has been very, very acute. And uh, I don't think that, uh, you know, the manager should be uh, relaxed about the, the way things are going over there. They're playing against Almeria, another side who are struggling. And Celta might be, you know, very well uh, placing themselves into, into big problems. Because remember, lads, that we have between the 13th and the penultimate uh, place in the table, we have only four points. You have seven teams in the fray with only four points between them. So, yeah, Celta, if they continue this way, they might find themselves in the relegation battle sooner than later. So I think that uh, Chacho Coudet should be a bit worried about what is, what is happening. Yeah, things getting a little bit desperate for Celta, who apparently the players and Coudet uh, asked the president if they could have Denis Suarez back, even just till January, just to help them out. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that shows you the level of desperation. Obviously, Carlos Mourinho said no. But, uh, but yes, perfect. Thank you very much for your time, Paco. Thank you very much for your astute analysis, as always. I will... Thank you. I will direct the listeners to our Twitter feed, at La Liga Loren on Twitter. If you've not been there, I don't know why you haven't, but we'll be covering everything across Spanish football 
over the weekend there. So uh, yeah, on that note, I will bid the listener adios and many thanks for joining us. Enjoy your Spanish football this weekend. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.